I keep telling myself to step up just a bit further because there's so much more we can do. Hello and welcome to Meet the Leader, a podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today, in a special compilation episode, I've collected some of my favorite habits that we've heard on the podcast so far. Mindsets from top leaders and innovators at companies like Google, IBM, Bank of America. And they'll explain how they take on big problems and the habits they can't work without. I'm your host, Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum, and this is Meet the Leader. If you enter in a room and things are decided in two minutes or three minutes and everybody agrees, that was not a very good session. I, I feel like when you look at the amount of need there is in the world and, and you forget about your own circumstances, but you get in touch with where the pain points are in the world, that that's what gives me both the motivation to keep going and, and thinking of, of new things that can help. One of the sleeper benefits of my job is being able to hear from and of course talk to some of the best minds working today. Meet the Leader is just six months old. And in honor of that anniversary, I thought I would do a celebration of sorts, and that is a compilation of some of the best habits that we've heard so far. I've already kicked off this episode with the voices of Polly Cordes of the Center for Sustainability Leadership, Carlos Brito, the CEO of beverage giant AB InBev, and Marion Croak of Google. Most of the voices you'll hear today have been featured in this podcast, but I do cheat a little bit. I couldn't resist uh, pulling a few top names from our annual event in Davos, and I can't imagine you blame me. Regardless of where I got them, their tips reveal what is never far from my mind, that leaders are just like us, and they face brick walls and hurdles and damn near exhaustion when they've had one Zoom meeting too many. The people on this podcast have found ways to go up over and through obstacles and do it in such a way that motivates teams and scales great change. As you listen today, please consider a habit that you depend on most and how it's helped you. And when you finish this episode, and only when you finish this episode, of course, please share it with me on Twitter at L-I-N-D-A-L-A-C-I-N-A, where I will tweet the best responses. With that in mind, I'll give you some inspiration. I'll start with a habit shared by Dario Gill. Dario is the head of IBM Research, and he happens to head up one of the largest research labs in the world. This fall, he talked to me about his dream of building a science readiness reserves, and that's a sort of super squad of scientists who swoop in like the Avengers to help prevent the next calamity, like an asteroid falling on the Earth or our next pandemic. He does a lot of context switching in his day, which is probably the part of his life that you and I can actually relate to. He explained how he manages it and exactly what Johann Sebastian Bach has to do with it. For me, Bach is, I really believe that it truly orders my mind. So I, I love doing that every day and I recommend it for everybody. And, and in that ordering of your mind, how is your day different? I have to sort of do domain switching so quickly from meeting to meeting and so many different contexts. And any attempt to try to have sort of like this even keel and um, to be in the moment, I think it requires that kind of mindfulness and, and sort of awareness of your emotions and what is sort of behind that, you know, maybe residual aspects from previous meetings or previous tension or previous things that you've been dealing with. So that aspect of emotional management 
as a means to accomplish the goals when you have to do contact switching very rapidly, I think it's extremely important. I always listen in the morning, driving in, and also at night. I love uh, when I can to listen it to it reasonably loud. I think music when it's played with like elevator music is not the same. Netta Corin knows something about context switching. She's the co-founder of Orbs, Israel's largest blockchain group, but she's also the founder of the Hexa Foundation, a nonprofit that uses blockchain to solve big challenges like ridding the internet of illegal images of children. She was already busy enough, and like all of us, lockdown brought that busyness home. I appreciated a tip she shared that's useful whether there's a pandemic or not. Her approach to focusing and prioritizing, and putting her time where she can make the most impact. Here's more from Netta in an interview from last September. I wish I could tell you that I was like uber mom, an amazing multitasking and super efficient, but I cannot lie through my teeth. <laughs> um, I It's challenging. I have two little girls at home. I have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. Um, and uh, I, if there's anything I've learned uh, about my work is that I have to be super focused because I have a very small amount of time to do it. So what I've learned to do is to ignore all the noise, right? I know exactly which projects I need to get done. And those are the ones I focus on, you know? So I'd rather have, you know, two projects under my belt and focus 100% of my energy on that um, and know that at the end of the day, something's going to get done on them. Then, you know, then look at five things that we might be able to do, but none of the projects is going to benefit from my um, lack of attention span there. As Netta has shown, the coronavirus forced all of us to find new ways of working, including top leaders and CEOs. This fall, I got to talk to Brian Moynihan, the CEO of Bank of America, and he explained how working during the crisis didn't just take being calm under pressure, but also required new ways of meeting and talking with teams that pushed hierarchies aside. He said that approach was the best way to really get an idea of what was needed on the ground. Here's Brian talking with me about an idea that really stayed with me, what it means to look out in. You know, you got to kind of ignore hierarchy for a short period of time. So there, there's a time now where I'm talking to people a couple steps removed from me with the whole group daily that I necessarily wouldn't talk to or have them talk in front of this broader group, but for the fact we need real-time information about what they're working. And, and the key is to ignore some of the hierarchy in some of the ways and, and let people run the business and do the solutions, but raise up the issues so people can learn from them in real time and get that information and, and take off with it. So the other important thing is also think how to, don't think about what you're doing. Think about what the person is actually doing the work in the company organization is doing and how do you make it the easiest for them to do that. It didn't take long for us to realize that the real risk when school's empty, that, that the person who was now working from home, it's just been impossible for them to have two kids at home that needed to be educated. Well, that's part of responsible growth, keeping employees safe in the near term, providing a set of benefits which allow them to work. And, and deal with the realities of what was going on at home. So good equipment at home, childcare, the mental stress was high. So push the mental wellness help, make sure people are covered on their benefits, free testing, all the things that we did to enable them to feel good about doing their job as opposed to focused on the top of the house because we'll be fine. So you have to think out in as opposed to in out. Last fall, I had the chance to talk to Puneet Renjan, the global CEO of Deloitte. 
early in his life, he didn't always fit some of the expectations that other people had for him. He talked to me about the importance of not typecasting yourself and not accepting the boxes that other people will sometimes try to put you in. Here's Puneet. You know, when I was growing up in India, if you were good in mathematics, you went on an engineering track. If you were not good in mathematics, you went on a medicine track. I went on a pre-med track and realized very quickly that uh, I, I didn't do well with uh, looking at blood and, uh, and cadavers and, uh, and uh, dissecting small animals. But I have to tell you, at age 18, if you had lined up all, the, all of my friends and you'd ask people who would be successful in life, successful being defined as professional success, I don't think anybody would have pointed to me. <laughs> because all my friends were either going into engineering school or into med medicine, and I decided uh, that I would go a different path. I was the one that uh, people pointed to, and soft voices say, well, what's going to happen to that poor Puneet? I mean, the learnings, again, for me, in retrospect, is that if you were to make, uh, make uh, a call at that point in time, and you accepted what people were saying about you, and typecast yourself, you know, I would have ended up completely different. I refuse to do that at some level. There's only one of you. And what you will see in life is there'll be ups and downs uh, and keep trying to do what, what you get satisfaction out of. The future is not preordained. We're, we've been dealt a, a hand. We accept that. We will do our best to play that hand and make sure that our future is ordained the way we view it to be ordained. This next tip I stole from an interview my colleague Ross Cheney conducted for our podcast, World vs. Virus. Just as the world locked down, he had a chance to talk to Adam Grant, who's a renowned organizational psychologist, but also an expert on finding meaning and motivation. Adam talked to Ross about coping with the lost opportunity of the pandemic, that FOMO or fear of missing out, and how during times of unexpected change, you can sometimes find joy in the things that you actually no longer have to do. And even after the pandemic, that can be a way to learn how to adapt to change and find ways to be grateful. Here's Adam on FOMO versus JOMO. I think there's FOMO around all the things that we could be doing but aren't, even though no one else is doing them either. Right? There's a sense that you know we're, we're losing. At the same time, though, I think it's a little bit easier to tolerate that, that sense of missing out when you know it's just not available. Uh, but I, I prefer to think about this less in terms of FOMO and, and more in terms of what's often called JOMO, which is the joy of missing out. Uh, I actually made a list of all the things I'm thrilled that I don't have to do. And that list includes changing out of sweatpants. It also includes having to commute. Uh, I definitely have gotten to avoid a lot of awkward interactions with strangers and maybe even a few awkward interactions with people I know. And I think this is actually a practice that's pretty useful for people. We have a lot of evidence that marking moments of joy can actually create those moments of joy because we're more likely to notice them. We're more likely to savor them and share them. And so being able to, to just capture a few things that, that are really joyful about getting to stay home, even though you know, it's not all flex time and family time, seems like a productive step. A very useful and universal tip came from Carlos Brito. 
Carlos is the CEO of AB InBev, which is the largest brewer in the world and the beverage giant behind big brands like Corona and Budweiser. He talked to Meet the Leader about how the company developed unique solutions to problems you wouldn't think a beverage company would be solving, including delivering high-precision weather data to smallholder farmers who only have a flip phone. Carlos talked to us about how anyone can identify unique problems needing solving. And there is an important first step, active listening. An active listener means that there is discussion, there is conversation, different points of view. If you enter in a room and things are decided in two minutes or three minutes and everybody agrees, that was not a very good session because uh, I don't think there was much discussion or listening that took place. Because uh, we tend to say here in the company that we like conflict. We like healthy, productive conflict where people are respectful and constructive. But it's much better when you have different points of views being expressed. And through discussion, you always get to a better place, to a better decision. And that's why groups tend to perform better, especially with tough issues. If you have diversity of thought, because people expose different opinions and from those different opinions, you get to a better place, a better solution. But I think one thing that uh, you could force yourself is to, again, to try to provoke in a good way, a good discussion, and also to have consequences from the discussion. So, okay, I'll, I'll get back to you on that. Well, let me give you a feedback on this one when I have more information. That proves that you're active listening as opposed to just listening. In putting together these habits and practices that great leaders depend on, I couldn't resist and had to include a quote from Jack Ma, the Alibaba founder. He is always a font of wisdom. And here is a snippet from an interview that he did at our annual meeting in Davos in 2019. In it, he talks about the types of people with whom he chooses to work and how those traits move projects forward. The 18 founders of Alibaba, a lot of people think they are legendary. So I'm like, wow, you're Alibaba founders. You must be super good at it. Honestly, most of us cannot find the jobs in the early days. We're not that smart. Uh, none of us graduate from a, you know, a great university. Um, but the thing is that we are ready to learn. We believe in the future. If we work together, if we will learn, if we improve, we'll be there. When I hire people, I hire the people who are smarter than I am. And I think people like him, um, four or five years later, he can be my boss. I love to work for him. That's the best. And second, I like his personality, always positive, right? I don't, I never say, well, I will hire you and let me see your diploma, which university you graduate. That does not, not that important, right? The important is a smart people, smart than you are. And I've been proved this for so many years. I've seen so many great leaders in the world, in many, many fields. And I'm, I like the people who never give up. They don't complain. Those people are always opt optimistic. As Jack points out, the people with whom we work can have a real impact and influence on us. David Rubenstein agrees. David is the co-founder and co-executive chairman of the private equity firm, The Carlyle Group. But he's also worked at the White House and has rubbed shoulders with people like Jeff Bezos and Oprah for his interview show on Bloomberg. I had the chance to talk with David last winter, and I asked him if there were any habits that stood out from any of those top names, and if he'd borrowed any for himself. Here's what he had to say. 
Uh, Jim Baker was a partner in my firm. He was a former Secretary of State, Secretary of Treasury, White House Chief of Staff. Jim Baker was taught by his father a certain thing that he was drilled into him, and Jim Baker did it his whole life, and I, I think he's got me doing it. It is prior preparation prevents poor performance. Now, Jim Baker would add, prior preparation prevents piss poor performance. But whatever you say, I think he was always well prepared. And so, for example, when I do interviews, I prepare the questions in advance. I um, read everything I can about the person. If I'm interviewing somebody about a book they have written, I always will read the book as a courtesy and also make sure I know what I'm talking about. So I do try to prepare. And if I'm going to meetings or anything, I'm always trying to be prepared so I know what I'm doing. I mean, I, I can wing it, but I think when I wing it, I'm not as good as when I'm prepared. At the start of this year, I had the chance to talk to Dame Polly Cordes, and she's the founder director of the Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership. And for three decades, she has done the very hard and important job for the climate of working with thousands of leaders in government and business to help them find new ways of working that balance profits and planet for the long term. Of course, this work is slow going. And keeping motivated for the long term isn't easy. So Polly has some strategies that she depends on, including reminders she gives herself, like looking to leaders with qualities that she admires. Here's Polly talking about a sustainability icon that you might overlook, His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales. You know, I've grown an organization over 30 years, which is, might not have been here if we'd given up when it got tough. But I think that what has helped me is to never lose sight of the bigger picture, never lose sight of the amazing, wonderful possibility that we can do things better. And when I'm feeling a bit daunted, I keep telling myself to step up just a bit further because there's so much more we can do. I've been lucky enough to have uh, His Royal Highness Prince of Wales as patron of the Institute for nearly 30 years now, and he has been an extraordinary support to our work, helping us, lending his convening power to many of the programs and events. We run several programs in his name, the Prince of Wales's Corporate Leaders Group and the Prince of Wales's Business and Sustainability Program. I definitely learned never giving up from him. I, mean, I often tease him that he's a non-giving up kind of person. I learned also to be fierce and passionate, which is what he is. I've seen how that carries you through in so many ways. But more than that, actually, I think he is a unique individual on the world stage. He has been fighting this great fight, campaigning for over 40 years, often in the early days regarded as just simply slightly eccentric and somebody who you know, talks to trees and plants. But in reality, he was way ahead of his time when he recognized that we have to rethink the way we live in the natural world and the way we engage with, with one another. So he, he's been a personal and a professional inspiration to me and my colleagues. The last insight I'll share comes from Dr. Marion Croak of Google from our Pioneers of Tech Summit this fall. Marion currently drives responsible AI at Google, but she's really known for being the woman who helped develop the technology that eventually allowed entire workforces and economies to keep running over Zoom last year, voice over internet protocol, or VoIP. It's a technology that led to me being able to do my podcast interviews with leaders around the world, all remote from my Brooklyn apartment. So while I have not yet had Marion on my podcast, I am including her in this episode in tribute. 
She was interviewed at our Pioneers of Tech Summit this fall by my colleague, Eniola Maffey, a lead for our Tech for Good platform, 2030 Vision. And they talked about a range of topics, including how VoIP's benefits weren't always obvious and how Marion maintains a mindset for innovation. Here's Marion talking to Eniola about how she nurtures imagination. A lot of invention kind of happens you know, outside in the world and you're collaborating with others, but the mindset for it is internal to you. And despite whether or not you're accepted or how difficult your life may be, kind of go inside of yourself and and find that childlike hope and imagination and just keep that growing and nurture that throughout your life. Um, And don't let that die off. As you as you grow older, because that's where I think your source of change is going to be. I I feel like when you look at the amount of need there is in the world, and and you forget about your own circumstances, but you get in touch with where the pain points are in the world. That that's what gives me both the motivation to keep going and and thinking of of new things that can help. Um, but also the the concern to keep going and the necessity of that, especially pulling other people along so that you leave a pathway once you're, you know, once you leave the earth, that other people can step into your place. That was Marion Croak. Before we go, don't forget to check out a special announcement about the World Economic Forum podcast, Radio Davos. As the world moves out of lockdown and the vaccine starts to be rolled out around the world, this podcast, World vs. Virus, is becoming Radio Davos. There can be no going back to things as they were. Together, we must invest in a healthier and safer world. Davos is the town in the high Swiss Alps where the World Economic Forum holds its annual meetings, bringing together governments, businesses and civil society to talk about the biggest challenges and changes affecting everyone in the world. And that's what we'll be bringing you on Radio Davos. Discussions on the big issues and interviews with people who have the ideas, platforms or power to make change happen. We do need to move to a phase of healing people and the planet so that we come out of this on the right side of history. We'll still be bringing you coverage of the pandemic, but Radio Davos will also cover many other things, from climate change to inequality, the future of technology to the rapidly changing world of work. If there's a baseball field and a basketball court and every single junior high school and high school. There needs to be computer science programs, robotics programs. It's a human right. Radio Davos will cover all the biggest issues, the biggest global challenges, with a focus on how we might solve them. Companies who embrace both technology and sustainability are two and a half times more likely to be tomorrow's leaders. If you're already subscribed to World vs. Virus, and thank you for listening over the last year, you'll now be getting Radio Davos episodes as they land. If not, please subscribe to Radio Davos to get it regularly, wherever you get your podcasts. And join the conversation at the World Economic Forum Podcast Club on Facebook. Humanity has never been at this intersection. Join me, Robin Pomeroy, digital editor at the World Economic Forum, and some of the most interesting people in the world tackling the world's biggest issues on Radio Davos. That's the new and improved Radio Davos brought to you by Robin Pomeroy. My thanks go out to Gareth Nolan, Robin Pomeroy, and Anna Bruce Lockhart for all of their help with the production of this episode. And thanks also go out to all of the leaders and innovators who make time for us on Meet the Leader and in interviews at all of our events. And thanks to you 
for listening. An article linking out to all of the episodes and interviews I've just quoted from will be available online at wef.ch podcasts. Take a listen and do a deep dive into all of those episodes and know that that is a gateway into all of our World Economic Forum podcasts available on Apple, Spotify, and other top platforms. And don't forget, tweet me your best habit at L-I-N-D-A-L-A-C-I-N-A so I can retweet it to the world. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum. Have a great day.